This is a fun message. Uh, I hope you're excited to be a part of it today, uh, but uh, it's going to be a good one. I can promise you that, uh, that uh, there's a lot we're going to grow in. Let me say welcome. I'm glad that you're here today. If you're joining us online or whether you're in Urbana, we're glad to have you today. Okay, so this is an interesting message to talk about uh, this phrase, only God can judge me. Have you heard this phrase, right, right? Okay, we throw this around all the time. It's, it's interesting for me to preach this because my name in the Hebrew, Daniel, means God is my judge. You know, so it's kind of kind of something I've always lived with. My parents always kind of reminded me that your name helps remind you that we will all stand one day before God and be held accountable for the life that we live. And we believe that. We believe that God is the one to judge our hearts. But when we talk about this as a phrase, when we talk about this as something uh, amongst our community or amongst our culture, we have to admit a couple of things. One, that, um, you know, some people use that as kind of a, a it's, it's kind of the get out, of frail, get out of jail free card, right? Kind of throw it out there and back off, push back, right? You know? And, and sometimes we use it as just straight up defensiveness, you know? We don't, we don't want people in our business. We've been trying to take some of these paths, passages, these Christian truths that get thrown out, get spoken, get said, and people just automatically go, yeah, that's what, that's what Scripture says. Sure, that's what the Bible teaches, you know? And we've been looking at it through a few tools, trying to help people understand, really, is that what Scripture says? Now, the nice thing is we've done a little bit of Scripture busters. You know, we've kind of proven whether a passage does or doesn't say that to some level. But the ultimate goal of this was not just to bunk some of your religious myths, but was to help us all be able to jump into Scripture a little bit better. If you use these tools, and there are many tools that you can use to help understand Scripture, but if you use the tools that we have been talking about, you should be able to begin reading Scripture with more confidence and greater understanding. But let's talk about the three tools that we've been unpacking over the last three weeks. The three tools are simply this. The first one was a keyboard. Remember, we brought the keyboard out? We talked about context, that the keyboard represents context because if I were to email you from, from my desk, from my computer, you would get that email and you wouldn't just read it only by the words that are on your screen, correct? You would think about our relationship, how well I know you, conversations maybe we have or have not had, uh, the amount of time that we've known each other, what it might be addressing, what it might be bringing up. So you, you read from a perspective of scripture, of context, from the perspective of what's the relationship, what's the dynamic, what's happening in the background so that these words have purpose. The second tool we talked about was this idea of a map, or what we talked about was biblical theology. And we described that as the Bible interpreting the Bible, or scripture uh, describing scripture. We talked about it and we pulled open, we actually held open a map. Many of us don't use those anymore thanks to GPS, but we held up a map. And as you see a map, you see all sorts of, uh, of lines of states or counties or, or different boundaries or regions. You see roads and highways and freeways that are all interconnected. And while you're trying to figure out your journey, you understand that multiple roads may take you on similar journeys to similar backgrounds, but you're trying to take the understanding of how this map together helps translate the journeys that you can be a part of. The last tool we talked about, though, was uh, the Christ lens, or what we talked about was the glasses. Remember last week I wore my hater blockers, remember? Wore those for just a moment. Many of you were in awe, I could tell. And uh, we talked about how when we put these lenses on, we read all of Scripture through the lenses of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
how the Old Testament or the First Testament points towards this coming event and the coming of Jesus and how the rest of Scripture helps define what it looks like in some ways of this new life, of this new resurrection that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we really talk about how even some of the most mundane Scriptures, when seen through that Christ lens, help give a greater perspective of why that scripture might be together or might be in there to help point us to a better walk with Jesus. So today we're going to unpack a passage that I think many of us are very familiar with. It's not going to be a surprise to us, but we're going to look at a passage that kind of helps us understand this idea of only God can judge me. And in that context, it, we need to understand where it's coming from. It's, it's coming out of one of Jesus' most famous conversations where Jesus is really starting to address this new community of what it looks like to be a community of faith under the lordship of Jesus, living out a life that holds kingdom values, Jesus values, and how it's different from the world that they're a part of, even the religious world of the God-fearing people that are in this conversation. Now, what's interesting, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, is that Matthew chapter 6 closes in this grand message that Jesus is teaching, talking about worry, about negative thoughts that we have internally about trying to control our world or things we can't control in our world and how we need to be trusting God. But chapter 7 opens with negative thoughts towards outsiders or people outside or others around us who we have negative thoughts towards, judgment towards. Now, it's always been something that uh, growing up in a preacher's house, you kind of hear messages over and over again. And I remember as a kid, I'd go to a revival, and I'd always hear this illustration that for years, the most quoted, understood scripture of all time was John 3.16. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one. His, I mean, you, you know that passage, right? And then they would say, but something's changed in our world today. And now the most quoted scripture, <laughs> some of the elders in the back room are laughing because they know this is, I get into these voices when I try and do this. Okay, this is just me. Matthew chapter 7, do not judge lest you be, you be judged. That little King James in there for the old school today. And uh, they would oftentimes go on this diatribe about how our culture is so terrible and so sinful and judgment is just, every, and it, just, it just became a real downer of a message. Now, I hope this isn't a downer of a message. I hope you're inspired, encouraged, you will be confronted, but I hope that what comes out of this is a closer walk with Christ out of this. But in case you're nervous or you're uncomfortable, go ahead and look at the person next to you and say, go ahead and put your seatbelt on, we're going off-road. Can we do that today? Can we do that today? Okay, so Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Let's look at this passage, and it's going to be familiar to you. Some of you are going to go, oh yeah, I know this passage. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. That's the, that's the statement. That's the one that many of us hang on. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the same measure you use, it will be measured of you. Pause, time out, let's stop there. Okay, so we're looking at this. Talking about judgment, and we make a shift from judgment to measurement. So the question has to start to become, what are we measuring? Who are we measuring? What standard of measurement are we using? When we're talking about measurement, we're talking about a length or a volume. We're trying to, trying to weigh the gravity of it, okay? Verse 3 then says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's or sister's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. Jesus always asks great questions, doesn't he? That's a, good, that's a good point, Jesus. Let me think about that. Next question he says, how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck 
out of your own eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? That's another good question, Jesus. Then he says this word, you hypocrite. Hopefully you never get that in the Hallmark card, right? That's not encouraging. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. Do not judge lest ye be judged. What in the world is Jesus trying to unpack here? I mean, this is a passage that we kind of throw around a lot as Christians. We try and understand it. We try and live it out. But, but judgment and hypocrisy tend to go on hand in hand. And one of the truths that is timeless is hypocrisy has been a going trend in culture for a long time. Okay? Lots of people are hypocritical. And Jesus is specifically speaking to a group of religious people, God-fearing people who are following after God and following after Jesus to see if Jesus is in fact God. And as he's speaking to them, he's trying to help them think of community, relationship, and life differently than they're currently living out. It's a confrontation conversation. And hypocrisy has always been the dilemma of God-fearing people. We know what we should do, and oftentimes we don't do it. And unfortunately, we even get judgmental about it. That other people's shortcomings or faults or sins irritate us oftentimes greater than our own sin shortcomings are to us. Make sure your seatbelt's tight, okay? We're about ready to jump in, okay? Here's the challenge. When we start to look at things the way Christ is trying to pull things back here, we can't help but start looking at ourselves and wrestling with, am I hypocritical or not? Now, hypocrisy is such an interesting idea, but out of the Greek, when it's originally written into this scripture, the idea of hypocrisy comes from, or hypocrite comes from this theater term. Any, Any drama folk out there, right? Now, early in, in Greek plays and dramas, oftentimes what would happen is a person would play multiple characters. It wouldn't be like Guys and Dolls or Seven Brides or Seven Brothers or whatever. It would oftentimes be a man playing the part of multiple characters in that play. And the way they would play different parts is they would use a different mask. And they would take on a different character. So the idea of hypocrite was literally a a theater term of multiple masks to where we get the idea of two-faced, that in one environment we act one way and in another environment we act another way. Hypocrisy. It's just wearing multiple faces rather than perhaps the one that you should wear. It's interesting as we start to unpack this idea of judgment, though, because the idea of judge that Jesus is laying out carries multiple connotations. One commentator even begins to write about it with this idea that uh, judgment or judge to judge has a number of nuances depending on the context, ranging from uh, ordinary discernment or evaluation, judicial litigation, the bestowal of a reward, the pronouncement of guilt, And to absolute determination of one's fate. Now this is where we're heading. The latter two sentences in this view, as this commentator says, Jesus warns his disciples against setting themselves over others, making a pronouncement of their guilt before God, which we should be careful in making. And these kind of judgments, because we too will be judged for committing a sin worse 
than what we are accusing. And then Jesus makes this illustration. He pauses for a moment just to help us get a word picture of what he's literally talking about. Now, most of us are like, okay, so I've heard this passage, let's move on. Some of you are thinking right now about, oh, I need to run and I need to grab some groceries before the end of the day. Did I get this on my list? Our mind's starting to go here because this passage is so familiar. So sometimes when we get into moments of familiarity, it's good just to shake things up, just to do things different. Don't you agree? Absolutely. So let's do something a little bit somewhat spontaneous, um, but completely planned on my part. Can we do that? Okay, I need a couple of volunteers that I need up on stage. Now, it's funny because oftentimes everybody's got their Bible open and they're going, let me look at that passage one more time. Let me read it for a moment. No, 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 this is not school. This is life. So I'm just going to pick a couple people that uh, I know won't hurt me when they get on stage. So I'm going to ask Jeff Graham to come on up. Jeff Graham's one of our elders, and so he's going to help in this project. And and I'm going to pick one of the... uh, one of the great men that helps serve around here on a regular basis, I'm going to ask Gil Burge to come on stage because uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he'll laugh about this for the next 10 years. And he's like, would you give him a warm round of applause as they're coming up? Now, what we're going to do is we're going to set out a scenario of what Jesus is teaching in this moment about judgment so that you get the actual idea of what Jesus is teaching. So, Gil, why don't you stand here? Can you stand here for me for a second? And why don't you stand right there, Jeff, Okay. Thank you, man. Thanks for, thanks for helping with this. Don't hate me, okay? Gil, I'm going to have you actually stand right here, and I'm going to have you face Jeff. And Jeff, I'm just going to have you turn, okay? So Jesus wants to begin to teach a moment about, about this idea of a speck in one eye and a plank in another person's eye. Now, Gil, I, I don't have a speck that I can just hand you, but I, I, the church spent big money to provide toothpicks for this moment. And I, I just want to tear you off a piece. And what I want you to do is I want you to take this little speck, this splinter, Put it in your left hand, and would you just hold it against your cheek underneath your eye, okay? We're going to call Gil our speck bearer, okay? Can you say that with me? Speck bearer. Okay, we've got to wake up, okay? okay? Let's say speck bearer. I can't even. Now I can't say it. Speck bearer. Let's say speck bearer together. Can we say that? Speck bearer. Very good. Now, Jeff, can you stand here for a second? I need to go get your prop, okay? Everybody stay here for a moment, Okay. Let's see, let's see, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Jeff, you are our plank bearer, okay? Can you say plank bearer? Plank bearer. Can you say plank bearer? Plank bearer. Okay, so Gil is our? And Jeff is our? Plank bearer. Okay, Jeff, would you hold that against your right cheek and point that at Gil? Do you need to step back a little bit? You don't want to hit him? Maybe, maybe. Okay, okay, okay. So here's the point. Can, can we hold that up? People are trying to watch, okay? So for, for, for all theatrical pur- purposes, I'm going to play the role of Jesus in this conversation. Can we agree to that? Okay, I've been waiting for this moment, okay? So Jesus says, I'm going to hold this up a little bit higher. You just keep holding, okay? Uh, so Jesus says, one has a speck in their eye and the other has a plank in their eye. Isn't that funny? Isn't that comical? Can you see what's starting to happen here? Now, look at this. Look at this. Jesus is talking to, first and foremost, God-fearing people, people who want to surrender their lives before Christ and create a new community that will live out a life of love in front of the world that we're a part of, okay? You okay, Jeff? You're back getting okay? You're, you're back okay holding that speck? You're a little nervous, aren't you? You, can, you don't want to get hit by the plank. Okay, so here's the idea, okay? If one has a speck in their eye and the other has a plank in their eye, the word picture that you're getting is this. 
You can't walk closely with somebody in a, with a speck in their eye when you're holding a plank, right? That when we focus on the splinter, it splinters the relationship, okay? Jesus is also saying it is absurd <laughs> that everybody can see that you have a plank in your eye and you only have a speck. So why is this guy pointing out that guy's issue when he has a plank, right? You feeling what I'm saying? So Jesus says this. You're going to drop your plank? Okay. See, another point. It is not difficult to carry a speck, right? But it is very difficult to hold a plank. And oftentimes, Jesus is saying religious people carry their, their plank and point out the speck, and the burden they carry is overwhelming. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff? I agree. Yeah, I appreciate you not crying in front of anybody. It's, it's okay. We're going to be all right, okay? So what if Jesus is trying to say this then? What if we learn to hand over our planks to the plank bearer, right, to Jesus? And Jesus says, you know what, Jeff? The measurement by how you measure people, you yourself can't even stand up to, right? That's why Jesus becomes our measurement. Instead of holding a plank, he carries a cross, right? And it's because of the cross that we now know our measurement is not amongst each other, but our measurement is who Christ is and what Christ has done. So if we could learn to drop our planks, we could maybe learn how to live as people like Jesus. Now, because we're so familiar with this passage, this is where we stop with the passage. Most people say the point of the passage is this, to give your plank to Jesus and stop judging one another. Because Jesus wants the plank bearer to see clearly so he can what? He can still help remove the speck. So the challenge of the passage is this. If religious Christian people could put their planks down and admit that we've all fallen short of the glory of God and many of us are carrying a speck of woundedness, of sin, of shame, of guilt, what we could do is see life more clearly the way Jesus sees it and help one another with our specks. You know why? Because you know you have a speck in an eye. Like you know when you have a speck in your eye, right? When you have something in your eye, it's irritable. It's bothersome. And nobody says, I want a speck in my eye so I can have it. No, what we want is we want our speck removed too, right? And Jesus made the community of faith to be People who help each other with their specs. Make sense? Okay, now have a seat, guys. Thank you, man. Great job. So here's what's, here's what's intriguing out of this passage. Most of us look at this passage as saying, see, we shouldn't, we shouldn't swing our planks at each other, and that's true. We shouldn't. We should take our planks to Jesus. We should lay them at his feet. Allow Jesus to take our sin, our burden, our struggle. But as we walk this journey together in relationship with one another, we have been given one another to help remove those specks from one another's eyes. Because it's irritating. It's debilitating. It takes away our ability to see the world the way God has made community. So that's one way to look at the context. But let's talk about from a couple of different angles, from Scripture, maybe even from a biblical context. Can we do that? 
Now, Scripture talks a lot about judgment in a lot of different ways and things that we should test and use good judgment on, but I want to keep this message really in about relationships and people. So here's a question. When should we not judge others? There is Scripture that talks about not judging others. But when it starts to talk about not judging others, it starts talking about people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That what scripture is speaking towards is that you cannot have the expectations of Christ followers in people who don't believe in Jesus, right? You can't expect people to live out a morality or a faith or an understanding, a worldview about who God is and who Jesus is if they don't believe it. It's a different expectation. And so maybe that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, as he's confronting sin, that's happening in the community, and he says this, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Now Paul begins to make an interesting inside-outside statement. He's saying that maybe in relationship, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there should be an expectation. There should be a judgment of character and relationship. There should be a conversation to help one another. That's how we remove the specks. But if you're in relationship with people who have no relationship with God, you cannot expect them to be held to the same standard. Matter of fact, it's often damaging when the church, when people begin to point at people who don't know God and call them out for their sin. And people, this is something we've got to hear. If you tend to use social media to blast a group of them or a they or call something out with no relationship, no understanding, this is partly what Paul's talking about. You can't expect people who have no relationship with God to live a life that points back to God. But he talks about, but what about those inside the church? Is there a responsibility in the community of faith that we would be the kind of people that would use good judgment, that we would be able to help one another? So the second question becomes, when should we judge others? Now, there's a passage that begins to describe what's going on here. Paul's already alluded to it in his conversation with the Corinthian church, but Jesus talks about it in a sense of judgment, uh, in a metaphor of fruit, the idea of a tree kind of revealing or exposing the very character or fruit that's within it. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Make a tree good, and the fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized for its fruit, for what it produces, how it behaves. Jesus is talking about we can be somewhat objective about the actions or behaviors that come towards us, but it also means, but we can't be really in the role of judging the subjective or the motives by which people do things, right? And this is one of the great hypocrisies. Not only is it one thing to be in sin or to be in rebellion towards God and call somebody out, It's another thing to, instead of confronting the action, try and confront the motive. None of us know a man's heart or a man's mind, right? Only God knows the depravity of a person's heart or the clutter of their mind. Would we agree with that? 
But friends, can we take a time out? Can we grab the proverbial mirror? God calls us to be the people who help remove specks with other Christ followers. That when somebody's hurting, when somebody's irritated, when somebody's living in sin, we would step in to help them from a place of a pure heart, a pure motive, understanding under God's grace that we too are sinners, we too have struggled, we too have faults. But we would come to reconcile the relationship and the wrongdoing, right? We would step in and say something like, when you did this, I felt like that. When you acted this way, it made me feel like this, right? We would confront the action or the behavior. But do you know what Christ followers often do? Instead of just simply bringing up the objective behavior and actions between one another, we step into a world where we, we grab our mature Christian brother or sister, we take them out for coffee, and then we say, do you know what they do? You know why they do that, don't you? You know why that you, you know they only do that because of and we go from confronting the wrongdoing to judging a person's soul. Friends, we have no idea why maybe that person lashed out. We have no idea the woundedness or the brokenness or the hurt that somebody might be coming from. We have no idea the journey or the struggle or the background or, or what shaped them in their lives to be able to respond that way. All we know that we're hurt is that we're hurt. And God's challenge is this. We have to put down our own planks. We have to begin to surrender before God and realize that we too have specks in our own eye and our judgment and our criticism and the calling out of people's motives or thoughts is not our place. But in the objective moments of reality, when actions and behaviors play out our way, we have a responsibility to reconcile that relationship. Why? Because that's only how, that's only how we get the speck removed. Maybe that's why Paul then begins to speak to all of us who want to see judgment, who want to see things be reconciled. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore judge nothing before its appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He's pointing to the, to the end of days, right? He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. And he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So I think many times we lash out, and the reason we jump to motives is because ultimately what, what most of us really want is we want justice. We don't want vengeance. We want reconciliation, not retaliation. But because of the culture we live in, because of the dynamic of expediency and expected results today, oftentimes many of us will settle for quick judgment and vengeance rather than the hard work of reconciliation and restoration. Many of us would rather create distance with those who have hurt us than to drop our transgressions and step up and say, I too, I too struggle and sin. But let's work at this together. Here's what we're trying to say. God's role is judgment of all. But our role is to use good judgment. You understand the difference? 
God stands in judgment of all because he knows the depravity of our hearts and the clutter of our mind. But God challenges us to use good judgment. Throughout scripture, he encourages us through his word, by his spirit, to be able to make decisions of appropriate relationships, how to handle things, how to best grow and walk with life. While we should have good judgment, we should never presume to be the judge. We should be slow to judgment and quick to grace. Grace allows us to work on ourselves first. Our goal in confrontations is to always win back a brother or sister in faith. We do not have to be judgment to others when we're already using good judgment in our own lives. And we need to learn godly judgment, what it means to think, to function, and live out our own life in a way that best honors God. Because here's what we know. Jesus calls us to an attitude of grace, not to judgment. There's this, uh, there's this story in Scripture, one of a, most, some people's most famous and, and thankful passages, unfortunately, is a, is, a, is a person caught in disgrace. Oftentimes in, in Scripture, it's described as the, uh, the woman caught in adultery, which I, I really don't like that. I really don't like that heading because most of us understand adultery takes two people, right? And so here's the context. A woman is brought out from being caught in adultery, and she's thrown at the feet of Jesus while Jesus is teaching. Now, it's, it's hypocrisy from the get-go, Right? Because a woman is being exploited. It's being exposed. And everybody asks, but where's the man, right? Hold on, hold on. Jesus is teaching in this woman, maybe half-dressed, maybe not dressed. You get the idea that she's pulled from the moment and brought out and thrown at Jesus' feet. In her moment of embarrassment and exploitation, religious leaders then begin to quote at Jesus different scriptures and remind him that people who are caught in these moments in their culture at their time should be stoned, which was literally taking stones, putting people at the bottom of a, a hill or a, 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 a base or whatever, and you would hurl large stones on them. You would stone them till they were unconscious, and ultimately they would either be crushed or bled to death. So this woman is now in front of them in a moment of capital punishment, and people are standing with stones in their hands, challenging Jesus to see if, in fact, he is God and what kind of character he truly has. Now, John chapter 8 begins to describe that what Jesus does while people are standing cocked, locked, and loaded, ready to throw, right? They're, they're ready to make this happen. Jesus begins to do something that we know, most people don't really know what he did. It just says he, he sat down and he began to draw in the sand. Now, some, some commentators like to speculate that maybe they, maybe they, he wrote other verses or scripture to remind everybody of their own faults. Maybe he pointed arrows at people, you know, and said, I know what you did last summer, or whatever it is. You know, we don't, we don't know what he wrote. And, but what we understand is this. Jesus then turned, after, after drawing and writing in the, in the sand, he responded with this. He who is without, the first, without, without sin cast the first stone. Isn't this interesting? Culture is trying to exploit and humiliate a woman, and Jesus' confrontation is to the men. Now, some of us will stop and say, hey, 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 that's the culture of the day. Hey, just let Scripture be what it is, okay? Jesus says, he who is caught without sin cast the first stone. Some of you are uncomfortable because I'm bringing this up in our culture in our day, right? 
It's the irony of Scripture, isn't it? It speaks so many different ways in our world. And Jesus says, or Scripture says of Jesus, that they began to drop their rocks. The only thing that gets heard is rocks falling out of people's hands and people walking away. Jesus confronts the hypocrisy. But yet there is a woman exploited and exposed in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at her and he says, Woman, is there anyone here who condemns you? No, no, they've, they've gone. And Jesus says this, Neither do I. Now this is where most people just stop the scripture, right? This is where people go, See, Jesus wouldn't condemn. See, Jesus is full of grace. No, look at grace and truth fully lived out because here's what Jesus then says. Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Now, Jesus can say that though, right? Because Jesus knows the objective behavior that's played out, but Jesus also knows the depravity of our hearts and the clutter of our mind. And so even though we don't know what Jesus was writing to the masses, Jesus could hear, as men and women were looking back and forth in judgment, Jesus heard the slapping of planks and the hypocrisy of a culture. And Jesus begins to speak to all of us, saying, we too have specks in our eyes. We have no place calling people out. When we have planks gouging the people next to us. So Jesus says, go and sin no more. And you begin to think, well, what what does that mean for us then? What if we began to look at things, not simply out of the perfection and the measurement of how we want to measure the world, but through the grace of Jesus? What What if we said it this way? We don't judge with perfection. We judge with the grace of Jesus. That's who God's called us to be. We are all plank bearers, and we are all speck bearers. And if we could learn to give over our planks to God so that we could see each other clearly as wounded and broken and irritated by the world, just like that speck in our own eye, we would see each other as people who need grace, not more judgment. You hearing what I'm saying? You picking up what I'm laying down? We're talking about the difference between trying to play the judge of somebody's heart and mind or using judgment to help each other live in grace and truth. Let's move to a time of response. All around the world, there are people who gather on a regular basis, kind of as a church, if you will, people with hurts and hang-ups and habits that have injured them and injured others. And oftentimes when they stand up to speak before each other, they introduce themselves and then they introduce their struggle. And so maybe in this environment, it's best we kind of introduce ourselves once again. But my name is Danny Schaffner, and I too have been a plank bearer. I've been a person who splintered relationships created distance, who swung my two-by-four in judgment at others, all the while pointing out other people's specks. 
But you know what? This isn't who I am anymore. Oh yeah, every now and then I go and try and find this little prop and I try and bring it out because I'm, I'm injured or I'm wounded or I'm frustrated by how somebody treated me. And, but this tool doesn't get much more work anymore. Not like it used to. Because I think Jesus wants all of us to give him our planks. Because when we set down our planks, we can reach out to the person next to us so that they can help us with our speck and we can help them. Not to judge those outside, but to perhaps better create a community of faith that would live in grace and truth. Now you may hear me say this and you may go, okay, Danny, that's a, that's a nice finish. But friends, let me just say this. Do you have a plank between you and your spouse? Do you have a plank between you and your children? Do you have a plank between you and your boss, a coworker, a friend, a peer? What if you put it down? What if you put down your, your judgment stick and trusted God and stepped back into that relationship Understanding that all of us stand under judgment in both our heart motives and the clutter of our mind before God and we allow God's spirit to work in us and through us. That we would all admit that all of us have fallen short of the measurement, the standard of God. And that it's only through Christ that together we can overcome our specs. Wouldn't that be a great church to be a part of? I think I'm a part of a church like that. I see it every time that I, uh, I stop in the foyer and people come out and they bring me their planks. And I don't take it for them. But we sit down and we talk and I say, well, I know someone who can handle your plank. I'll tell you who handled mine. I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. I too have the same spec you have and it's a struggle, it's a battle. But we could work on this together. I see it every time that I, I gather with my community group. My wife and I, will, we teach a community group and oftentimes the gals will come together and the guys will come together and we sit in these moments and sometimes those guys ask me questions I wish I didn't have to answer. But they're not mean. They're not mean. They're caring care about me. I care about them because that's the community that God's put us in. That's the church where we get to worship together and grow together. I, I get to celebrate a church like that every time I sit down with our elders. Sometimes they, they ask questions that I don't like or love. We take journeys that aren't always easy. But that band of brothers and they grow me. They stretch me. There, there are specks that I've had in my eyes for years that I don't, I don't wrestle with anymore. And what if God wanted to do that with us? What if God wants to do that with you? Would you put your plank down?
Would you give it up? Would you admit that you, like all of us, have a speck that needs removed too? That you cannot do it on your own? You know why? Because if you could, you would have. Nobody wants that speck there. But God gave us each other. So maybe today you're going to walk to the next steps booth and you're going to surrender. I, I, I need to put down my plank by being buried in baptism, surrendering my life back to Christ. Maybe some of you are going to sign up to be a part of a community group or a mid-sized group because you, you, you can't get that speck on your own. You, you want to grow with other people. Whatever it is, would you be bold enough to make that decision today? Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful. So thankful that you have been my plank bearer so glad that uh, no longer does the judgment that I've had to other people and others have had against me it no longer has the weight that it used to and no longer speaks into my mind and into my life the way it used to God let me pause and just say I'm sorry I'm sorry I tried to take your role I'm sorry I tried to dress up as the judge I'm sorry I embraced a critical spirit or a negative attitude or a hurtful tongue because I don't I don't make a good judge God only you know the depravity of our hearts and only you know the clutter of our minds and God there have been times that people of faith have stepped into our lives and tried to confront maybe a behavior or a pattern or a sin and we just pushed it off to the side we, we used our plank to keep them at distance and God forgive us for that we have no idea the behaviors or habits or sins or things that we allowed to continue to bear fruit in our lives that we're not the fruit of health or maturity or frankly of you so God, forgive us and make us whiter than snow. Wash us clean and help us to live as people, not as plank bearers anymore, but as surrendered people who help remove specks. And God, may our actions, our words, our behaviors, and the things that we do in public, in front of those who don't know you. May we live with such love and grace that ultimately, ultimately, they would see you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to get ready to respond. If you're a guest with us in this moment, we do a couple of different things. As music begins to play and we begin to sing, ultimately what happens is people begin to move to different areas of response. And so maybe today some of us will come forward to these benches up front and we'll pray. Maybe there's, maybe there's some forgiveness or repentance that needs to come across our hearts. Maybe there's a plank that we need to let down. Others, others of us will move to the tables that are closest to us to, to eat some bread and drink the juice. It's an invitation reminding us that it was God's broken body, his shed blood, that was the payment for our sins and gives us life everlasting. So Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out to you. A, a testament to the death, the burial, and resurrection of what he was about to endure. And we gather, we gather around those tables to be reminded 
in celebration that Christ has bore our plank. And together, we walk together. And then, those of us who call this our home, who are surrendered to the mission of God overall, but through this local church, we'll use our app, we'll go to the the give and respond boxes, but we help fuel the ministry of what's happening in this body, not just to keep lights on or to keep it warm, though it's nice to have that today, but to advance the cause of Christ, to fuel ministry, to equip and prepare people so that we might live free of judgment of those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but free in good judgment, growing and building each other up so that we might walk in the newness of Christ. Let us respond as these songs begin. Let us sing out with sincere hearts. But whatever we do, let's take these next two songs to respond back to God.